Give the secret handshake. Check your cloaks. And remove your tinfoil hats. This is the Illuminati Social Club. The podcast you don't want they to know about. This is bullshit. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanation, but not necessarily the only ones to the mysteries we will examine. Welcome to the In Search of series here on the Illuminati Social Club. I'm your host, Jason from Parma. As you could tell, I sound thrilled. Joining me, also probably sounding thrilled from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, Mr. Oliver Oxide. Hi, Jason. Hello. <laughs> and from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Doc Pinko, Steve Cloutier. How are you doing? Yeah. As good as I'm ever going to be because, oh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to start off right now and just simply say I'm sorry. (laughs) This episode, I'm sorry that we decided that we were going to do every single episode of In Search Of from beginning to end because if it was up to me, I'd have skipped this one. Actually, it's funny because it is kind of up to me. Uh, (laughs) But we are talking about Season 5, Episode 17, Great Lovers. Uh, My initial thought on this one before I even watched the episode was, if we hear anything about Leonard's love life in this episode, I'm done. (laughs) Unfortunately, I probably would have preferred to hear about Leonard's love life in this episode. <laughs> Oliver, what were your impressions? I have I just have one question. Why? <laughs> and and the reason we when we found to find out why at the end of the episode when we really discover how uh what Leonard put in uh for his renegotiation for the contract of in search of uh oh yeah he he obviously gets to write an episode a year that was part of that's his brown m and m yeah this was um why <clears throat> i mean i i just i can't i can't go any further than that i don't understand why steve yeah well first of all you <laughs> <laughs> Um, and people understand why I say you to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the things that we've been sort of, as as we're doing this, sort of joking about um, with the 70s and the sort of the, the, the way different sort of time periods sort of view things, uh, for most of the time, we can, we can kind of laugh at them, you know, the, the key parties and thing like, mm-hmm. things like that. But this one shows us that in certain respects – Things have changed, and that's really good that things have changed mm-hmm. because there are some attitudes that are very, shall I say, reprehensible? Yes. Yes, you um, shall. You know, and um, it shows that as, as amusing as the 70s sometimes was, there was a kind of creepy undertone to what was going on in the 70s. You you say kind of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. There was a creepy undertone. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, so. Can I just say one other thing? Sure. And this was be- before I realized that Leonard wrote the episode. Yes. Was when he first started off, I thought he was giving the impression that he didn't want to do this episode either. <laughs> like he was very, uh, he's he was kind of like the us, us three in the opener. <laughs> it was kind <laughs> of like he was about to announce his name was Tanya and he'd been kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation <laughs> Army. <laughs> <laughs> He seemed to be doing this under duress. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, when I realized at the end, it was like, oh, my God, Leonard. No, this is his dramatic voice in this episode. Yes. Uh, so, well, here, here's Leonard in his dramatic voice. Three hundred fifty years ago, a fictional man was born on paper. The name Don Juan was scratched on a manuscript by a Spanish monk, and the legend of a great lover was born. A hundred years later, a Venetian named Casanova wrote six volumes on his own life and established himself as a legendary lover as well. The two men had a common occupation, the pursuit of women. Were they great lovers or merely fools? I think they were creepers. <laughs> Why is this an episode? I have... There's nothing to be in search of. I have no freaking clue. This is what I, got me about this, is I was kind of waiting, mm-hmm. you know, for something. Oh, I um, know. I like your... I, first, I, I, hate, okay. I hate this term because it makes mock of something that's very, very serious, but I have mm-hmm. to use it in this particular case. Sure. This whole episode was so rapey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean, it was like, oh, you 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 spoiled you spoiled my surprise for later on. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. So yeah, you know what? Let's just let's get through this as quickly as possible. <laughs> yes, please. Here's the next clip. Through the ages, legends of love and lovers have captured the imaginations of storytellers and their audiences. Platonic lovers, selfish and selfless lovers, star-crossed lovers. All have had their expression in music, drama, literature, and dance. In all the annals of fiction, one character stands alone as the symbol of sensuality triumphant. He was the title character in a 17th century drama called The Playboy of Seville, a character whose very existence is based on the seduction of women. I I just want to say here, uh, every time Leonard says sensuality, it's very unnerving. It is. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you just know to him, sensuality smells like cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> cigarettes and pawn far, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we have, we, we have the Playboy of Seville, which is Don Juan. Um, his, his conquest is women. And that's creepy. Um, he would totally, uh, I, I have here, he totally would not survive the Me Too movement. Um, oh, we're getting to that. <laughs> so, Holy moly. We have, uh, what, what's your name, Donna Anna or something like that? I can't, I, yeah. I, I, I really didn't care at this point. Uh, uh, she's supposed to marry the Marquis de Mota, who is a friend of Don Juan's. 
and Don Juan intercepted her invitation and will enjoy her favors. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a word for that. Yes. (laughs) And Oliver said it earlier. (laughs) But it makes it... Yes, we we should point out that when you when Jason you say you've already been done with this episode, <laughs> this is at two minutes in. Yes. <laughs> this is exactly right. And they actually they actually pose rape as sport. Yes, when he does that, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh my god. Yeah, I, I think I think it was at this point that I messaged both of you. At, you know, I DM'd you guys on Twitter, and I said. Less than three minutes in, and I need a shower. It's like, ugh. Did, did anyone think that uh, the Countess's dad looked like Pee Wee Herman? <laughs> he did, kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Don, Don Juan was, uh, well, let's see, Don, Don Juan apparently killed her father. Uh, and he was invited to dinner by a statue of the man he killed. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the statue sent him to hell. Okay. That's over. Uh, till later. Is, is that the worst sword fight you've ever seen in your oh life? Oh my God, that was awful. <laughs> it was. That was no Princess Bride, people. Oh no, was... no. <laughs> uh, they spent about five minutes on choreography on oh, that no one. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> so now we meet Giacomo Casanova. Another, another, uh, great rape, uh, lover, uh, according to this episode. Um. He is a self-appointed nobleman. How do you get self-appointed as a nobleman? Or oh no, he's a con man. Yes. Uh, who? That's, pers- how, that's how you do it. You say I'm a nobleman. He pursued women regardless of class. He studied the Kabbalah, but probably only to get chicks. Madonna? Uh, huh? Madonna? Yeah. I was looking for his red string. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, yes, here we go. And he matched wits with, wait for it, a callback, Count St. Germain. So, yeah, he apparently was a heavy gambler. He spent his winnings on women. And also, after he lost, he found women. Um, And he also claimed to be able to see future events. Now... This next clip is talking about the latter thing there, you know, that he could see future events. But I love the questioning in this clip after that. So here we go. In Amsterdam, he urged financiers to issue insurance on a ship believed lost at sea. He claimed to have a cabalistic prophecy that the ship would be safe. Actually, Casanova had little to lose. If the venture was a failure, he would simply leave town. The ship turned up safely. Sir Thomas Hope, believing in Casanova's mystic knowledge, had taken the gamble. Hope profited handsomely. He shared his profits with Casanova and offered him a substantial business position. Why did he refuse? Was he insecure about his talent for magic? Fearful that failure in future prophecies might expose him as a fraud? Or was it because he was about to embark on his most larcenous and erotic adventure? Um, number one, d- did he doubt his ability for magic? No, he was a con man! You just said that! Ugh. 
Oh, I'm so done with this episode. <laughs> I keep in mind, too, that the majority of what we know about Casanova comes from his own writings. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, I mean, there, there, there's the assumption there that he isn't lying. Mm-hmm. He he's the he's an undependable narrator in this case. Yeah. Um yeah, he refused the position because he was a gambler. He's basically take the money and run. But then was he headed off for a larcenous and erotic adventure? Hey, that sounds like me. Except <laughs> replace larceny with laundry and erotic with gro- grocery shopping. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So apparently Casanova convinced a really rich woman, Madame Dureth, that he could uh, father a male child that would carry her spirit after her death, and she could commune with the spirit world. Yay. Okay. Uh, that That's the summation, right? Am I right? Boy, J- Jason really is done with this episode. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I, the, uh, the, the, this episode just creeped me out. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, you know, they're, they're yeah, they're talking about... Betting women as sport. Yes. Ugh. Or and, raping and, women as sport. And, and the thing is, and I don't know if you have a clip on, on this, but I'll, I'll say it now. One of the things that they do, which is particularly heinous, uh, is they end up kind of making him the victim. Mm-hmm. Because he, tr- he tries to con this woman out of money, uh, and he fails. Mm-hmm. Be- because she leaves the money to her daughter. Right. And this is not the exact quote, but this 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 is a paraphrase. You know, Nimoy says, "Was he the victimizer, or was he the victim?" He was the victimizer, and he got his comeuppance. Right. I mean, but but the, but the way but the way he phrases it, it's almost like he's trying to say that Casanova was a victim of this woman. Oh, oh, this gets it gets even weirder and creepier too. So. Yeah, as Steve said, you know, Casanova thought he was going to inherit this woman's entire fortune and all that. Um, instead, he ended up uh, exiled from Venice for 18 years. And uh, he was going to get married. Yeah. To a 16-year-old girl. <laughs> now, let's see. He was, eight, let's say, 18 years. And he was well over 18, you know, when he took on this uh th- this this con so you know he's got to be well in, at least in his 40s by this time and he's gonna you know get married to a 16 year old girl but then uh her mother came by to finish the deal and found out that it was the woman that he had impregnated um 16 years and nine months earlier so. Yes, if I, if I may quote Steve, ew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so he almost married his daughter. Yes, and then he goes off and ha- continues his affair with the mother. Uh huh. Ew. Ew is right. Ah, <laughs> uh, so here we go. Next clip. There's there's only five. This is the fourth clip. In the endless string of assignations, flirtations, intrigues. Call them what you will. The question remains, was there love? The answer is yes. No, the answer is 
I don't care. I really don't care. Casanova got his comeuppance because he fell he he fell in love with with this woman named Henrietta or whatever, and she left him. So guess what? He got his comeuppance again because she knew he was a scumbag. And now we get we we get back to Don Juan. I, I just like saying Don Juan. Uh, he was sent to hell where he was to be a he was to be the jester of hell. But he bargained with the devil that if he could remember just one of his one thousand and three loves, he could avoid the jester penalty. We yeah, we all know what happens. He ends up being the jester. Of course, that devil dude shaking the shaking the shirt was uh was that creepy or was that funny? <laughs> I, I found it funny, but I uh, I found it funny in a very actory way. Yeah, this was maybe my first clue that maybe Leonard had had something to do with this episode <laughs> because that was so over the top, uh, like mm. dramatic. Yeah. Uh, I have. Uh, and the play was written by N- Edward Ronstadt, um, who um, wrote a play called. Uh, was it less romantique, um, which was the basis for the Fantastics? Oh, okay. Which er- Jerry Orbach? Oh, okay. Law and Order originated, yeah. Uh-huh. Originated. Try yep. to remember. Yeah. There we Romanesque. go. Romanesque. Romanesque. That's it. Sorry. Ah. Romanesque. All right. Final clip. I think it might be a little longer. I did try to cut enough stuff out of it, though. Giacomo Casanova, great lover or great fool. Rapey. By his own admission, the number of his liaisons equaled that of Don Juan. Bull. Ironically, there is evidence that he contributed to the libretto of Don Giovanni, the Mozart opera based on the Don Juan story. Yet there is an outstanding difference between the two men. While Don Juan left bitterness in his wake, Casanova's women maintained tender feelings for him long after the passion of their affairs had faded. An enduring testimony to the generosity of Casanova's character. If a lover can be defined as one who enjoys the giving as well as the taking, then surely Giacomo Casanova must be granted the title of lover. I don't care. I don't think so. I think he was a piece of shit. (laughs) I was bored. I had to take a shower after this episode. You know, if we compare this to Leonard's last one, mm-hmm. uh, which was about Vincent Van Gogh, I mean, that was somewhat interesting mm-hmm. just because there was a lot about Van Gogh we don't know. So right. they were actually in search of something, mm-hmm. right? This is pointless. It's just pointless. I, I absolutely agree. And we didn't mention the, the creepy theater manager who was going all, you know, the Enlightenment version of Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> um <laughs> That was that was in there as well. Look, people, I'm too old to be woke, so mm-hmm. to speak, uh, not, as the young people say. Mm-hmm. But I'm 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 drowsy, so even this offended me. <laughs> right? It's like, oh my Ugh. god, people, you just can't do this anymore. I agree. Yeah, and I'm done. My notes are done. This episode was written by Leonard Nimoy. Shame on you, Leonard. Uh, anyone have anything else to add, Steve? Well, just that Leonard completely missed the point of the play, mm-hmm. right? Is the 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 whole the whole point behind play is 
is that Don Juan regret regrets his actions. Good. Um, and Casanova and Leonard Nimoy seem not to have done that. Mm-hmm. I I really didn't need to see an episode about Larry from the Regal Beagle in the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> um, and uh, I think this is certainly the worst episode uh, in search of has done since uh, Deep Sea Psychics. But yeah. at least we at least we could laugh at Deep Sea Psychics. Yes, there's I, no I'm... there's no joy in this at all. No, no. So, Oliver, tell people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me drowsy at Oliver Rockside on Twitter. <laughs> Steve? Well, let me have a shower first, and then you can get me at Doc Pinko on the Twitter. You can find me at Alien CG. You can find this podcast at Illuminati Pod. I'm done. I got nothing. I, I don't even want to waste my time trying to think up something clever to say at the end of this episode. Bye. Toodles, kids. See ya.